0: You're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, your source for all the Baltimore Ravens news and information. Now ice up, hon.
1: And we are live for episode four of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody listening. We have our hosts, Kyle Barber.
0: Oh, folks. How you doing?
1: And we have our hosts, Matthew Stevens.
0: That's the guy talking.
1: (laughs) Woo! All right, Kyle. What do we got to talk about today?
0: We're going to talk about a lot of good things, I promise you. But first off, we are talking about Rally Bus. Real quick for you. Rally Bus is offering luxury buses to and from the Baltimore Ravens games. If you use the promo code RAVENSRALLY10, you get $10 off your booking. That, once more, for the promo code, it is RavensRally10, R-A-V-E-N-S-R-A-L-L-Y-1-0. RavensRally10, all one word. Ride happy, ride smart, rally bus. But we are going to jackknife right into the show this evening. First up, John Harbaugh denying Deflategate. Yes, we are back on the Deflategate story as there's been a, I don't know if it's an update to it. I wouldn't call it an update. I would call it another piece of the puzzle on this story. But apparently, John Harbaugh and the Ravens were tipping off the Colts about deflated footballs. Here we do have the quote that John Harbaugh released for this situation. Right here it goes. I've been consistent from the beginning when asked about whether the Ravens tipped off the Colts about deflated footballs. I'll say it again. We didn't. We knew nothing about deflated footballs. As a former special teams coach, I know that members of the kicking group from teams talk to their counterparts all the time about the conditions, including field weather and footballs. I learned this morning that our kicking consultant, Randy Brown, sent a text to Coach Pagano on January 16th suggesting to the Colts that they pay attention to how the officials rotate the kicking balls into the game. Coach Brown's text did not mention the Patriots and did not complain about anything the Patriots did. The Colts never responded to Randy's text, and he had no further communications with the Colts on this matter. Me personally, I think, you know, this is a garbage story. You know, nothing's really updated besides, oh, hey, there's been a text about the kicking rotation of the ball, the kicking ball's rotation, something was messed up, maybe the ball boy screwed it up, you know, or the professionals, the referees. But more along this, I want to hear Matthew's take on this. Matt, what are you thinking?
1: Well, the big story out of this is not necessarily about the, uh, you know, kicking balls or anything like that. It's more or less that the Patriots are saying that the Ravens did absolutely tip off the Colts. But the Ravens are saying that there's no way they did. So it becomes a somebody's lying in this situation. Either the Patriots are lying and trying to push and deflect some of that uh, news away from them and more toward the Ravens, or the Ravens are denying it and are completely lying for... Look, I'm a Ravens fan, but there's no reason for the Ravens to deny it. It it wins them nothing. So, ultimately, someone's lying here. Someone is, is... uh, pushing things away from themselves, and that's that's the Patriots in this instance. So, I, you know, I'm not too worried about the kicking balls. I'm not too worried about anything like that. But I am, uh, like you, Kyle, I'm annoyed about this story. I'm annoyed that, I mean, come on, it was January when it happened. It's now, you know, it's August. I'm, I'm just tired of it, and I wish that the Patriots, like most other fans of football, that the Patriots would just kind of eat the punishment, just go, fine, whatever, let's just move on.
0: I, I like your take on this. My biggest my biggest problem with this story right now is the Baltimore Ravens are on trial, apparently. It is our fault that all of this happened now, and everybody's mad at us, or mad at... at uh, the Colts for telling that the Ravens did it, it this isn 't about the, the the patriots anymore it 's about oh well who 's who told we want to know who told we need to find out who told it doesn 't matter who told we didn 't do anything wrong. the colts didn 't do yeah. anything wrong. What was wrong was footballs were deflated in some how i don 't know we all don 't seem to somehow know except there 's some weird text going on with Brady and then some ball boys text messages back and forth to each other and i don 't know. All I know is that I've been, I've been on websites, I've been talking about this story, and for some reason it is the Baltimore Ravens' fault in this, and they are now getting prosecuted over this situation that makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense that this is going on. It's driving me yeah. nuts. Nice.
1: The most frustrating thing as a Ravens fan is that, like you said, Kyle, that the Ravens are on trial for this. And, it, I mean, look, this, this isn't fucking Fight Club. You know, the, the first rule of, of deflating footballs is to not talk about deflating football. It, come on. it's If the Ravens found something, even if they did, let's just say the Ravens are absolutely lying here, that they did find something, that they did tell the Colts, what does that mean? That means that the Patriots cheated in the Ravens football game. That means that going through all of this, the Patriots are pushing... Are, are flat out saying that look you absolutely told on us that we were deflating footballs back in your game it, it's that whole I'm going to deny what I'm doing and blame you for what I am clearly doing it's oh. it's it's weird it's it's a child's tactic it's a typical PR move and it's annoying and, and I wrote an article about it earlier today about you know a weird victim blaming, and victim-shaming type of thing that's going on right now. And we've seen Patriots fans talk a little bit about uh, how the Ravens should go ahead and get fines and, and loss of draft picks. I'm I'm confused. I'm just confused at this point.
0: It's driving me nuts. It's unfair. We didn't do anything wrong. The Baltimore Ravens sure as hell didn't do anything wrong. And why, why is it now tor- turning from the the New England Patriots, to the Ravens, or to the Colts. This is about one team. It's about one team doing it wrong to other teams, but it's about one team and their fault. That's all there is to it. I'm not yeah. going more in-depth about this. Everybody's heard about how annoyed I am with this story. Punishment should have been dropped. It should have been kept. That's it. Like it should have been laid down, and that's that, was, that should have been the end of this thing, but heaven forbid we have to keep going on and on and on about it. To switch this yeah. up, to get off this story, let's go to something that we do enjoy: training camp, folks. Everybody loves hearing about training camp. Me, I actually get a little bit nervous about training camp. It's my, it's my most stressful time of the off season, is because these, this is when the players show up, and this is when all those text messages, all those emails, all those Twitter uh, posts. They're all about bad news from training camp. You get a couple that say, oh, yeah, no, this guy looked great. All of a sudden, this undrafted player looks just like this pro football Hall of Fame player. He's the next this guy or that. But mainly what goes on with this are the lowlights of this, uh, of training camp. And what that is are messages, texts, tweets about injuries. And I hate injuries. I hate seeing that. I hate looking it up. Yeah. And the, the highs right now, we're going to go through the highs first, just to start us off high, have, have some happiness after all that garbage <laughs> deflate gate. and start off Elvis Doomerville. He missed two days, but he's back now. Did you, get a, did you get a chance to see Elvis Doomerville in action at all, Matt?
1: I did. I was actually out there yesterday, and I got a chance to see Doom uh, doing his thing. I, the Ravens kind of, you know, had him all over the place. They, they were putting him through his paces, so clearly he is, you know, healthy again. Uh, and as we'll find out a little bit later on, it, it was a simple case of tendinitis, uh, which is just, it, it's nothing crazy. It's something that's simple to go ahead and get over. It just requires a little bit of rest, uh, as long as you catch it early enough. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was doing what Doom does. Which is always, uh, you know, getting after the quarterback and and you know just being a, an active football player. That's wonderful,
0: and I'm excited. I can't wait to see Doomerville back on the field what, come game time. We all are. It's great. You know, he never was truly gone, but he's he is back from his tendonitis injury that we do know about. Um, we're gonna go with splash plays on both sides of the ball. All right. What what was your favorite thing that you saw at training camp as a splash play? Did you find anything just that? stuck out much more than the rest? Well, for those that don't know, splash plays are those types of
1: plays that are are huge plays. They're touchdowns, huge touchdown passes for the offense. They're picks or or strips from the defense. They're the plays that make a game. Mm -hmm. So what I saw was defensively, Will Hill on Thursday batted down three passes in a row. Wow. We're not talking about, like, over the course of a day, in a row. He was just everywhere, uh, and, and he looked great. So while Matt Elam is, you know, might be out for the year, uh, our, our buddy Will Hill is is cranking it out there and doing what he needs to do. Uh, funnily enough, he did go ahead and get yelled at by uh, defensive coordinator Dean Pease oh, for wait. not catching one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which, you know, goes into the splash play element. He needs to go ahead and get up there and and, uh, doing his thing. But offensively, the Ravens have been really, really good on every part. Uh, In the running game, I've seen huge gains uh, from all over uh, different running plays. I've seen huge plays come out of the passing game. Uh, One of the biggest catches was Kamara Aiken. Ooh. Uh, Just just blew by the defender, and and, he blew by uh, Jimmy Smith
0: (laughs) (laughs) without even a thought. And that's the the name that's important. If it it was somebody else, you know, if it was that (laughs) undrafted for Agent Corner we're picking up, or if it was even Rashawn Melvin, and we have hyped up Rashawn Melvin here. But this is Jimmy Smith we're talking about. This is a guy that currently is actually claiming he's a top-five cornerback in the NFL. And for Kamar Aiken to be doing a splash play, like you said, a touchdown over Jimmy Smith without with just too much separation, and by too much you mean he was gone. That's that's a yeah. big name play right there.
1: You you could have fit a tractor trailer into that uh, into that gap wow. by sure. So <laughs> yeah, he just he beat him there, and it was a perfect throw uh, by Flacco, an easy touchdown all day long. The crowd went crazy when it happened. Uh, another big splash play is. Justin Tucker has been booting footballs at record levels. Really? And by record levels, I mean, I believe the current record is 63 yards, which uh, he had ties. And then I think it actually is 64.
0: 64, uh, uh, Prater, Matt Prater kicked it for Denver, I believe, and uh, broke the three-way tie that there was at 63.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, we've seen Tucker go ahead and boot it from significantly further. Really? Um, So I'm not going to get too much into it. We'll (laughs) kind of see as the season maybe gets in. But uh, do not be surprised if the 50-yard line is no longer the barrier of entry for Tucker to be kicking regular field goals. (laughs) So uh, it's going to be scary what what this team can do defensively, offensively, and then special teams. If the offense can't go ahead and drive it completely down the field, don't worry; three points will get on the board.
0: Absolutely. The thing that's mind blowing is, say we get the kickoff, you know, and we're, we take the touchback instead of bringing it out. We got twenty, and we drive that football down thirty yards, and then forty yep. yards, and all of a sudden, when we're forty yards in, Tucker's going to be able to kick it, you know, and it might it might be more because I know that it's about fifteen yards from where the where the line of scrimmage is for him to kick that football, but yeah, that's that's something scary that I know opposing players are going and opposing coaches more than anything are going to be worried about. Is him being able? And they're gonna go, man. We gotta stop this offense from getting any farther because that kicker can kick all the way out from 60 yards. We've seen him single-handedly kick their way to a victory against those against the Detroit Lions back in uh, 13. And that team wasn't yes. good at all for us, personally, uh, I remember. We were 8-8, missed the playoffs after we went on, that, went on that Super Bowl, lost nine starters, wasn't a good year. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, you know,
1: if Tucker's standing on the 50-yard line, uh, that would be a 60-yard boot. Mm-hmm. Let's just say I've seen him kick it from well over on the other side. <laughs> uh, to the point where I thought, man, he's just going to go ahead and kick it the other side of the... Uh, of the uh, field just in, in order to go ahead and test the wind, and then I see him walking, and he's walking, and he's walking, and then he puts the tee down, and it's like, all right, cool, that's where he's going to go, and then he turns around, and it's like, what? <laughs> There's no way he could try that uh-huh. type of a field goal, and, right. and uh, it was a 75-yarder. He was a hair short. Oh,
0: my goodness.
1: Uh, from what I had seen, so, uh,
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: That puts a smile on Ravens fans' faces everywhere and trembles some fear into the rest of the AFC North. Now, I'm going to go ahead and start off the lows. First one going to be the biggest one. Matt Elam and a torn bicep will be probably missing the entire season, at least the regular season to my knowledge. Uh, What are your thoughts on that, Matt? What's going on?
1: Well, you know what? Everyone's talked about how he's going to miss the season. He has not been placed on injured reserve as of yet, uh, at least from what I've seen. I haven't seen him go onto the PUP list. I haven't seen him go anywhere yet. Um, so that talk of him missing the season might be premature, and we'll get into that a little bit with uh, Dr. Bobby when we go ahead and get to that part. But it's, it's not good. Um, if, if Elam's going to miss the entire season, that kind of does it for him, because this is his third year. Uh, he's a form, former first-round draft pick. They get three years. Uh, they can get a fourth year with an option, but typically you're not going to go ahead and pick that up if a guy hasn't been you know, pretty good for you. Uh, this could be the end of Matt Elam's career in Baltimore, and he's shown good things so far in OTAs and in, in limited amount of camp that he was in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It sucks to go ahead and have a guy not be able to live up to that potential and then not only be able to not live up to that potential, but... Go so far as to get injured on the last possible chance, that sucks. Absolutely. It sucks to see it happen to anyone, but much less a guy
0: who really
1: does need the uh, need needs the playing time.
0: It's it's rough. I'm not I'm not excited about it. Another thing we're gonna glance after that is to Vershad Perryman fell down on his knee from what I heard back at camp. Uh, he's now got a bruised knee. Uh, do you think he should be missing preseason games, or or if if he is, how many do you think?
1: I, you know, it's, it's a day-to-day by, uh, situation right now. So uh, we kind of all expected him to be back out in the field within a day or two from when that original injury happened. And we're now looking on, I believe we're about a week uh, now, maybe a little bit over uh, on him being out. What John Harbaugh said, it was a day-to-day thing. He'll be a couple of days, maybe even return tomorrow. Has, has spanned quickly into a week. And then now, now there's still talk about him still missing time. Uh, he wasn't out there today. That's not a good thing if you're a first round draft pick, especially one that the Ravens are putting a lot of hope and, and effort into. For him to be missing any of this time right now, it's putting him behind the eight ball. It's putting the entire offense behind the eight ball. And, and while the Ravens have some other wide receivers, you know, they don't really have anyone who is uh, proven yet, aside from Steve Smith Sr., but. You can't count on a 36 year old wide receiver forever, mm-hmm. uh, especially since he was so inconsistent uh, last year for the Ravens. But it's it's scary because it's a knee. Um, whenever you have a knee injury, bruise, anything else, it, it and the guy starts missing a lot of time, you end up starting to get a little bit concerned that it's not just a bruise. Right. So, hopefully, we see him out there tomorrow. Um, you know that that that's that would be the good thing, and I know Harbaugh has come out and said that uh, Brashad wants to be out there. Clearly, he does. They want him to be out there again. Clearly, they do. Uh, so there, there's no no worries about him. Maybe not just manning up over it, but uh, it is it's not good to see a guy not out there. Definitely, definitely not.
0: One more thing I do have on the highlights and lowlights of training camp is the stat that I'm pulling up right now. Matt Schaub has now thrown nine interceptions over the first six days of camp. Two of them were today in the first two hours of practice. This is driving me nuts. Everybody knows my stance on Matt Schaub being our backup quarterback. (laughs) I'm completely against it. I'm all for even having Michael Vick on our team instead. People hate me for saying it. I haven't heard a positive comment when we're doing our rabble podcast or our rabble cast. But... I'm still all for Michael Vick being a part of the Baltimore Ravens football team. I know you're against it or you've been opposed so far. Personally, this is dumb. It's, a, it's absolutely frustrating. I want to hear, hear what you know or you've heard. And inform me, Matt. Am I, am I still crazy for wanting Michael Vick on this team? Well, let's start off with Matt
1: Schaub in this whole conversation He has thrown a lot of interceptions, and a lot of them have been weird. Uh, And by weird, I mean just straight to the defender. Um, So he has not looked very good, but I wonder how much of that is ultimately him getting used to a new offense, getting used to the new wide receivers, um, and just the, the struggle that comes from joining a new team and kind of getting used to that. At the same time... Seeing a guy go ahead and throw an interception directly to a cornerback is uh, always disheartening. So I'm not the hugest Matt Schaub fan either, Uh, and and I need to preface all of that by saying that I don't think he's a very good quarterback anymore. I didn't think he was a great quarterback to begin with, but he's what the Ravens need. He's Joe Flacco-Light. And that's what the Ravens want, specifically to be able to have him come into a game if he's if he has to. And the Ravens do not have to change a single thing. They run the same offense. They're the same, I mean, to the point where they're wearing the black jerseys with the purple numbers. It's near impossible to tell who's who. They're both, you know, 6'5", 6'6", six six white guys. You can't tell them apart unless you see them without a helmet. So, I... It gets harder and harder every week for me to, to validate keeping Matt Shaw, but John Harbaugh, head coach John Harbaugh, did say that he's had a good number of practices, that he's looking good, and that some of the interceptions are due just to poor routes run by a wide receiver or the incorrect route run by a wide receiver. Um, so, you know, I, I'll take that at face value. I'll assume that Coach Harbaugh knows what he's doing enough to know that, you uh, Matt Schaub is apparently a good quarterback. I will withhold Boo. any any punishment later if, if Matt Schaub turns out to fully suck, because I'm going to set this fence.
0: Boo. Boo. Yeah. All right, fine.
1: Matt you Schaub is a Pro Bowl
0: quarterback, Kyle. Was,
1: That's what you want to hear? Was.
0: No, I, what I want to hear is that he does not deserve to be playing for the Baltimore Ravens, even as the backup. He is not a good backup. He caught the yips after we started off his record-breaking four pick-sixes in a row, and he no longer can play at an NFL level, not an NFL backup level either. I'm sick of him. I don't like hearing it. But we're going to move on. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. (sighs) We're moving on because we have actually some exclusive stuff from Dr. Bobby. We got an interview here, I believe. Isn't that correct, Matt? Yes, we do. I got a
1: chance to speak to Dr. Bobby earlier this week uh, in between his shifts. Uh, excuse me. Uh, he is a doctor of physical therapy and a performance enhancement specialist, Dr. Bobby Esperant. We have Dr. Bobby here today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the injuries that the Ravens have had. Uh, we're going to start off with Elvis Doomerville and his Achilles tendonitis. What is Achilles tendonitis? Well, let's, let's break it down even further. What's tendonitis to begin with, and is it something that Ravens should be worried about?
2: So tendonitis, in theory, is inflammation of any tendon. Um, a tendon practically attaches muscle to bone. Where it gets a little tricky is when you start distinguishing between what's tendonitis and what's tendinosis. Um, okay. The majority of Achilles' injuries have been shown to be actually tendinosis, which is quite different from tendinitis. So Achilles tendinitis by itself, if that's truly what it is, it it should be something relatively quick that he should be able to get over and done with. Basically, there should be some edema, some swelling, some redness to that tendon, and just with rest and with some light, gentle exercise, that should be able to be, you know, resolved. Tendinosis is a bit more serious, and it, it takes a little bit longer to get over, um, and that's why with most, while you know, most clinicians kind of say everything's tendonitis and um, it's really not an accurate statement in these times anymore, and tendinopathy is a much more accepted word. Um Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So what we're hearing out of, you know, the Ravens and, and from other uh, sources is generally the, the layman's speak of tendonitis to kind of cover everything almost. Yeah. Um, so it could it could range anything from a relatively minor thing to something that's a little bit more frequent and maybe a little bit harder to kind of battle against, right? Right.
2: Right. Okay. All right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Go
1: ahead. Oh, it, what we saw in training camp so far was uh, – you know Elvis Doomerville, He seemed fine. He came off the field uh, with everyone else. Uh, he he went ahead and had uh, his media se- session, but uh, then the next day he just wasn't there any longer. Uh, we heard a little something about it being tendonitis, so it, it would seem like it was kind of a, a recent flare-up type of thing. Uh, and the and the Ravens seem to have a timetable. It's you know more on the lighter side of things, but. Uh, of course, they're playing it by ear, which you know any of these types of, of injuries or sorenesses would have those types of timetables, just when when a player's feeling ready to go.
2: Yeah, I mean, from what I've read and what I've heard, I think I think I read some of John Harbaugh's comments, and you know he was kind of expecting this would take no longer than a week to get over, and he should be good to go. Um, it'll be interesting to see exactly how things play out. If he really is back in that time, then then great. Maybe it was a flare up of tendonitis and not tendinosis, but um, just odds-wise. The odds are that it's more of a tendinosis, which is not so much of an inflammation of a tendon, but a, a micro-tearing of the tendon. So tendinosis usually develops when, basically, the body's not healing itself properly. You get, a, you get some breakdown of the tendon, and these constant micro-tears just continue to accumulate one on top of the other. And, okay. you know... Basically, there's the tissue that the body's laying down to repair itself isn't the right tissue, so it's this vicious cycle that has to be reversed, in essence.
1: Okay. So that's not something that you would just typically rest, and, and it would heal itself, obviously, if it's throwing down the wrong type of tissue. That's something that would re- typically require, I guess, more physical therapy and, and uh, surgery,
2: well, and that's where it gets. In most of these cases and most, you know, tendinopathy cases, conservative management through things like physical therapy and things of that nature, it tends to work out that way. Um, when these things start to become nagging, they become chronic. When these things aren't identified early and the player tries to play through these things, that's when you can lead yourself down a tough road and get into some sticky situations. So me. Signs look pretty good right now, you know, it's good that he's resting, you know, that he's sitting out these practices, it seems like they caught it early, and hopefully it won't be an issue moving forward.
1: Okay. Well, let's jump from tendinitis into Webb's failed conditioning test. For those people that don't know, Ladarius Webb failed his conditioning test for the first day. He did come out the next day after apparently passing it. Uh, And Coach Harbaugh did mention that it was more of an anaerobic issue than Webb just necessarily being out of shape, and that, that kind of fits pretty well with what we had seen through OTAs. Webb was able to make all the cuts. He was able to run around and, and practice all day. Uh, it hasn't exactly been the coldest months you know, around here in Baltimore, so, uh, so it doesn't seem to be necessarily that, that Webb was completely out of shape, or, or it wasn't me out there running those drills. Let's just say that. What what does that mean, anaerobic versus uh, – wh- wh- what are we talking about here, Dr. Bobby?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we hear these different terms. And, you know, I'll preface everything with saying, you know, I believe he passed his condition test the following day. So yeah. it's not like we had, the, you know, an Albert Hainsworth situation from years ago where, you know, it, was, it dragged on and on. So yeah. uh, I, I'm going to chop it more up to a sloop than anything like that. But But when we're talking about, you know, anaerobic, there's – there's different metabolic pathways that the body uses to produce energy. Um, Two of the more global terms and generic terms that are used are anaerobic and aerobic. Um, So aerobic endurance and aerobic exercise is stuff that it's of a lighter intensity. It'd be like if you went out and, you you know, you went on a, uh, you know, a, a light jog for an extended period of time anaerobic endurance and anaerobic, you know, uh, endurance is, it, it, it's, it's quicker. It's, it's, if you're running a sprint, it's when you're, you know, doing explosive things, powerful things. And so anaerobic, um, capacity, if you lack that, then you have a hard time transitioning from basically one drill to another. So, so being able to recover, Between quick-paced things is
1: anaerobic, Um, and where that
2: yeah, and where that can become, you know, a problem is you know when you're fatigued and you're tired out and you lack that anaerobic capacity, you know, chances are you're going to have a much greater risk of getting injured if you're not in prime form.
1: Exactly, and that's what uh, Coach Harbaugh had said. He did say that you know typically when guys get fatigued, it might not hit them immediately. But it's one of those types of deals where it does eventually catch up to them and that fatigue really starts to set in. And then once the fatigue sets in, the body naturally doesn't protect itself as well as it should, and you end up getting those weird fatigue-type injuries. So uh, that's something we certainly don't want to see. And it sounds like it was more uh, – and, of course, we, we don't know specifics on this by any means, but right. it sounds like it was maybe in between you know, uh, uh, quick sprints – and he just couldn't get his heart rate down enough, which is yeah. something that Harbaugh had kind of said that uh, in between drills he just wasn't able to get his heart down, uh, heart rate down fast enough. So that it does sound like it was a fluke, and obviously he came back the next day. So it's, like you said, it's nothing that was uh, extended by any means or just him being completely out of shape. It, it does sound like it was just a weird, weird hiccup that occasionally happens with even the best of trained athletes. Right. All right. Well, from Webb, let us go ahead and talk a little bit about Matt Elam. Uh, Matt Elam tore his biceps. Now, we don't know if it's a full tear or a partial tear, but uh, by all accounts, it seems to be a pretty nasty one that might require surgery. Uh, and the timetable that we've heard so far is anywhere between you know three to six months yeah. uh, on, on a timetable back. But uh, what happened was... Elam just went ahead and reached out for a guy and got caught up, and that was about it. So it seems to be a bit of a freak injury. What is a biceps tear? What, what goes into that, and how bad is it?
2: So I, I think most people know what the biceps is, where the biceps lies. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's in the front of your upper arm right there, and, you know, you know most people that go to the gym, they do the biceps curls, so they know where, where that thing is. <laughs> The biceps has multiple attachments. It actually it's a two-bellied muscle. All right, so it has a short head and a long head. Okay. It has two proximal tendons. So proximal meaning up, further, closer to the head, up at the shoulder. So it crosses the shoulder joint, and then it comes down. and Its distal tendon comes and crosses the elbow joint and it attaches onto a bone in the forearm. Most bicep tears injuries occur up in the shoulder area, and most of them happen to the long head of the biceps just due to where that tendon lies. That tendon kind of lies right over the shoulder joint, the ball up there on your arm bone. Um, So usually that one's torn. However, if if that thing gets torn, it usually doesn't require surgery because the short head can end up compensating for it, and at that point you really don't, Need much right there. What it sounds okay. like with Elam is that he tore his distal bicep tendon, and that's going to be a little bit more problematic for him. Um, you, you know, from the things I've read, everything points in that direction. I think, I think it was Aaron Wilson reported. You know that it, it lacked its shape, it lacked its strength, it lacked its range of motion, which are three of the things you would absolutely see if there was a tear to the distal tendon. Ooh. So if you think about think about the tendon like a thick cord, all right? And then you okay. have the muscle, which is this, you know, fleshy material. If you snap that cord, basically the muscle just shrivels up and shoots up towards up towards the shoulder. So that's what he kind of alluded to with that, you know, uh, abnormal shape. Okay. So, yeah.
1: Well, with something like that, I mean, wouldn't that require almost immediate surgery? Because obviously the, the longer that that muscle is uh, left allowed to creep up, the more it's going to start to kind of uh, uh, cramp up into its own self and, and not be able to be brought back down as easily. Is, is that correct? Or Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I would, I would fully expect that he's going to have surgery sooner than later. Um, if, if something was torn up at one the more proximal tendons, I really think he would have played through this season and wouldn't have required surgery. Um, The fact that they're making it a big deal like it is, and if he's lost that much function at his elbow, it's got to be the distal tendon and and that always requires surgery.
1: Okay. Now is there any real difference in terms of timetable to return for a partial tear versus a full tear, I'm sure there there's some difference there, just because uh, of what needs to happen with surgery and and recovery. But is there a major difference from a timetable standpoint?
2: Uh, there, there's always a, a big difference whether something's you know if it's a minor tear, partial tear, full tear. Um, a lot of times in the media, you hear things being reported. Oh, it's just just a sprain or it's just just a strain, but it, the way things work medically is you grade things, grade one, grade two, grade three. So a grade one sprain or strain is still minor tearing to, to, to the area. A grade two is partial. A grade three sprain or strain, the thing's completely torn. Um, so I think that's a lot of thing that a lot of people, it's really misrepresented Um But regardless of whether he needs the surgery or not, the the timetable, he might feel it might be closer to that three, four-month mark than that five, six-month mark if it's a full tear. Okay.
1: Because that would explain why we haven't seen him go immediately to injured reserve, because obviously if it's a six-month tear uh, and recovery there, the guy's not going to be able to play. I mean, he's going to be done for the season without a shadow of a doubt, um and, and typically you would go ahead and I guess schedule surgery almost immediately, have him go ahead and get caught up and and hopefully maybe return next season at 100%. But uh, we saw we see this with uh, Ray Lewis uh,
2: yeah.
1: during the Super Bowl season, that quick turnaround time. Now I, I can't remember if that what that was diagnosed as in terms yeah. of a partial tear, full tear, or whatever was going on. But I do remember that it was kind of shocking that he returned as quick as he did, and that the Ravens didn't immediately I.R. him. What? Uh, so is, is that something that we can kind of expect, or do you do you think the Ravens feel comfortable enough with maybe going? Let's see how it plays out. Let's if he can return in three months, that puts him about mid-season. Let's see what's going on.
2: And that's where you know all of these kind of you know three to six months. That that's a big time frame. That there's there's a lot of laxity with with these types of things because different people heal at different rates you know the same 25 year old with the same injury as another 25 year old might heal two months faster than the other um yeah. it's, it's like you said to I me mean, ray lewis had completely torn his triceps and you know he was pretty much ruled out for the whole season and somehow he came back terrell suggs had ruptured his achilles he came back faster than I think I've ever seen anyone come back from that type of injury. So it, it, it's, it's one of those things where yeah, there is a bit of wait and see because you never know how someone's going to respond to, A, surgery, and then, B, the whole rehab part of it. I mean, it's, there's just no predicting exactly how things are going to play out.
1: Okay, so I'm sure within the next few weeks we'll kind of get some level of a timetable or we'll just see him go immediately to injured reserve, and I imagine a lot of that's probably going to be based on the initial surgery, seeing exactly how bad it is in person versus through an MRI, and then also seeing how that initial set of rehab kind of uh, occurs. And if obviously he's hitting all of his milestones, I'm sure that kind of translates over for long term as well, and and maybe you might Mm -hmm. feel more comfortable about not keeping him on on injured reserve or or putting him directly to injured reserve at that point, right? But uh, okay Well, l- let me also ask you about this a- And this is something that was brought up to me the other day a- as a doctor I imagine most things that you see when you see them You don't necessarily need an MRI though. It, it always helps in terms of diagnosing exactly what it is and exactly how bad it is right. but I imagine when you see most things you can tell that's not a good thing. That's that's going to be an IR. Is that true, or is that sometimes true, but not a universal aspect?
2: It depends on the body part in the region. Um, okay. As medical professionals, some people use an MRI as their bible, and they they will say, "All right, if it shows this, then that's a big time problem." But more and more recent research So, so let's take let's take a uh, Discs, for example. Okay. Eighty-eight percent of people who do not have neck pain have some type of bulging disc in their neck. Mm. So that's people who do not have pain. Eighty-eight percent of them have a bulging disc. Wow. So you can't always rely on those types of things to, to, to treat. While MRI yeah. can be helpful and. You know, obviously for the knee, if it shows, you know, your ACL is gone, yeah, your ACL is gone. But for yeah. for other things, it, you have to treat the patient and not the scan, not the MRI, not the not that type stuff. Uh, you have to kind of treat what you see. Um, yeah. So, like I said, I mean, it varies based on what region you're talking about and what you're doing. But um, I think too much, too much is placed on those tests a lot of times.
1: Okay, yeah, because that's, that's kind of the same type of thing that I had heard earlier on uh, from somebody else was that, you know, MRIs are great to help diagnose, but ultimately when you see, for instance, Elam's uh, bicep, you when you see that that's not entirely there or it's misshapen, you can immediately kind of go, that's a torn bicep. I, I don't need to dig around too much to figure that one out, but yeah. let's go ahead and get an MRI and see exactly how bad it is, and then we can kind of determine it from there. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, it, it it's no real guesswork at that point. So all right. Yeah. Okay. Well, so far, I mean that that's really all the major injuries. The uh, guys are coming back to camp. They're getting their their bumps and bruises. Uh, that's what happens after not practicing for the longest time, putting on pads, and then hitting each other. So guys are going to get a little dinged up, and I imagine you know hopefully. Nothing else serious comes along, and hopefully even Matt Elam is able to go ahead and return at some point this season. I'm sure we'll figure that out in the next few weeks uh, or or the next month or two as the season kind of starts to progress. But thank you, Dr. Bobby. Uh, Just as a reminder, we had Dr. Bobby S. Brandt. He is a doctor of physical therapy and a performance enhancement specialist. Thank you very much for joining us today.
2: All right. Thanks again for having me.
1: As you guys heard, that was Dr. Bobby S. Brandt. We got a chance to interview him earlier this week and talk a little bit about those injuries. Uh, One of the other really cool things that I got a chance to do was to sit down with Ravens running back, Lorenzo Taliaferro, and ask him a few questions. He is a second-year player for the Baltimore Ravens and the current backup behind Justin Forsett. All right, I've got Lorenzo Taliaferro here. I just want to ask you a few questions. What's the feeling running behind this stud of an offensive line? I mean, everyone's talked about how it's one of the best in the league. What do you feel about it?
3: Oh, this is definitely the best in the league, in my opinion. I mean, this is only my second year. I haven't really uh, been on every team, fortunately and um just from being here those guys just work i mean way before i even seen these guys on the field i mean last year i just seen these guys work and the work they put in the weight room um to the film room and they're all just mature they're just really really mature they're not about i mean they they their their physical appearances are are bullies but like in the inside they're down to help they they i mean they i mean they don't take any any crap from anyone, but I mean at the same time, they're, they're, they're there fighting for this whole team.
1: That's awesome to hear. Um, you know, a lot of us here at Baltimore Beatdown had you picked as our kind of, you know, one of our favorite players. I had you picked a lot last year when asked, um, you know, who's that player that's going to go ahead and, and turn some heads that maybe we don't know yet. Uh, you were that guy, especially for goal line situations. You've trimmed down a little bit as, you know, was mentioned earlier. Uh, how do you
3: think that affects you in goal line situations? I don't think it affects me um, at all. I mean, all in all, it's just, it's about the, the heart you got when you get down there. I mean, you see guys like Jamal Charles, they don't take him out on the goal line. So, I mean, he's, what, 200 pounds, yeah. if that. So, you know, I mean, I don't think it comes down to size and that. I mean, Justin has one-yard, two-yard touchdowns. I mean, sizes it's not the – it's just about what, what, how are you going to execute it and are you willing to get in there. I mean, if you need one yard, then you need one yard. If, if your life's on the line and all you got to do is move one inch, then, I mean, I'm sure anyone can do it.
1: And that's that's another great thing to hear. So, you I mean, you don't think slimming down has affected your power, maybe picked up a little bit more of the top-end speed, but not necessarily some of that bruising aspect that I think you were known for last year? No, I don't think
3: – I mean, I'm, I actually got a little stronger in the weight room this – all season, so it definitely didn't affect my strength. Uh, Like I said, I just wanted to move a little fluently and and faster, so I think that helped a lot. All right, well,
1: how about the differences between Kubiak and Tressman so far? Everyone's kind of talked about the new wrinkles that might get involved and what might switch with a more pass-heavy or a more uh, running back pass-heavy type of offense. What are you seeing?
3: I'm seeing almost the same thing, just a little different different, uh, you know, different schemes with the uh, passing game as far as the receivers and stuff, but I mean, when it comes, I mean, we're split out a lot more as uh, in some of the packages as a running back, but it's pretty much the same thing, you know, we're keeping the same running scheme, and, and I think we're going to do good.
1: All right, well, one of our guys, uh, you know, calls you Iron Retribution. What, do you know about that nickname, and how do you feel
3: about it? No, I never... <laughs> I never heard that one, um, but, I mean, hey, it, sound, it sounds good, so, I mean, I hope I can live up to that name.
1: Well, there we go. I think we got a new nickname for you, Iron Retribution.
3: Um, you know,
1: what's the look of the young running backs right now? The Ravens added, obviously, McGee, uh, and, you know, a few other guys here this offseason. What are you seeing from them so far?
3: Oh, I mean, they're all out there competing. I mean, Coach made it clear, as he did last year when he came in for his first year with me, that we're all going to compete, and he's doing, he's living up to his word, letting us all compete, and these guys are going out day by day and competing, and, um, you know, it's kind of funny. they, they uh, We all mess up. Everyone messes up from time to time, but, you know, some of the mistakes they make was the same mistakes uh, I was making when I was coming in, and it's just you're probably out there thinking too much instead of just playing free. So, I mean, they'll get it, you know. I mean, I mean, I'm not uh, – A seasoned veteran, you know, I'm not anywhere close to that. But you know, as you as you get older, you grow mentally, and you know, so I'm seeing some of the things that I did last year in them. So, and I know that they're going to pick it up and continue to grow. All right,
1: last question: What did you do this off season to kind of trim down? What did you change? Because I know obviously combine and, and pro day stuff is completely different than getting ready for an actual year of football.
3: Yeah, well, I definitely changed my diet. I mean, I ate ate different. I wasn't eating too late. Uh, I was eating the right things for breakfast. You know, everyone always preached breakfast is the most important, which I love breakfast. Breakfast is my favorite meal, but it's, I mean, you gotta be smart what you eat for breakfast. I mean, sometimes when I didn't want to cook, I would go to Hardee's or something and just grab a biscuit thinking that was a good breakfast, which it isn't. So I definitely changed my eating habits. That was the most important thing. And I, I went down to South Carolina and worked my, um, agility, uh, Trainer Terrence Butler, and then uh, after OTAs and minicamp, I went uh, back to Virginia, and I worked with the strength uh, coach, um, Mr. Rojas, and and I did some agility and catching, running routes, running hills, and I think that's all paying off. And that's a little bit of boxing as well, a little bit of boxing.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Lorenzo. I, I appreciate the time, man, and hopefully uh, you eclipse a thousand yards this year. If that's the case, man, I think the Ravens are in the Super Bowl.
3: Yes, sir. Thank you.
1: That was iron Retribution himself. I can't believe you did. Taliaferro. I can't believe
0: you actually did that. <laughs> <laughs> We're live on air right now and I understand that but uh, what, what that nickname came from is I believe it's from either I, it's, uh, Russian or, or Greek because uh, Pharaoh is uh, short for Ferris. And that means iron in uh, Greek. That's where we – I believe it's uh, – Latin. Excuse me, Latin. And uh, that's where I end up hearing it from. And then I heard it online on uh, on some links through Reddit. And so his nickname was always Iron Retribution. That's where, that's where I'm getting this from, folks. And I was kidding around when Matt was telling me. He's like, yeah, so I'm going to go talk to uh, Lorenzo Talifero. You got any questions? You got anything I can help you out with or uh, any interview questions for me? And I was like, man, I, I want to know if he if he actually knows about his nickname online, which is Iron Retribution. And I was kidding, and and I told Matt I was kidding, and Matt didn't give a damn <laughs> apparently, and he asked him but anyways. So that's who he's talking about there is uh, one of our guys calls you Iron Retribution. Yeah, that's me. So. Uh, Wonderful, and uh, and the thing is, I haven't heard this interview yet, folks. So what I did here is I I just listened to it. You know, I was listening to the my own podcast like a uh, like a narcissistic individual. (laughs) And uh, pause pause my mic real quick, you know, just to listen on this. And uh, I I can't tell you how hard I was laughing. Thank God that mic was was muted because I, I would have overtaken this thing. That was oh man
1: (laughs) look all all i've got to say is that when that nickname sticks you know who you heard it from first you heard it from the baltimore beatdown podcast and the guys here at baltimore beatdown that's where that nickname came from iron retribution let's spread it around let's get lorenzo taliaferro known as iron retribution
0: i can't i can't believe you actually did (laughs) i cannot believe well done
1: Well, you know what else, Kyle, I cannot believe that we do? What is that? Rally Bus. Rally Bus. The coolest single bus on the planet. It's like the Magic School Bus times a billion. (laughs) They drive you to and from games, from concerts, from really any event that you could ever want. They drive you to and from there, let you go ahead and drink, let you tailgate on the bus... Get you back safely, soundly. That way you can have a good time. You and all your friends can party in the rally bus. They've also gone ahead and tossed us a nice fat coupon for all of you listeners. And, Kyle, what's that code? I believe that
0: code is RAVENSRALLY10. R-A-V-E-N-S-R-A-L-L-Y-1-0. RAVENSRALLY10. Ride safe. Ride happy, rally bus.
1: And you guys have just absolutely loved rally bus. Please go over there, hit them up, let them know that you heard from us about rally bus. Let them know that you love what you're hearing so far from us and from their uh, their little sponsors here. Mm-hmm. And actually, go ahead and use them.
0: Absolutely, we aren't saying it just to just to say it. They're actually really great. We love them. We love them they love us works out well we're having a great time it's been enjoyable for sure all right on to our next segment of this evening ravens roll deep we last time touched on the corners and linebackers last week discussing the uh the depth of the baltimore ravens but we're going to go with the wide receivers this time who do you think the starters are will they make history History being, is Flacco going to throw for 4,000 yards? Also, I'm going to add on a second part to that question. If he does throw for 4,000 yards, do you believe we have a higher or lower chance at making the playoffs? Personally, I'm going to hit this one up first, then I'll toss it off to Matt. Our starters for this year will be Steve Smith, Kamara Aiken, Rashad Perryman. Those are my first three. Anything after that are our second second players, you know, uh, the guys that come in um uh, I can't think of any other wide receivers off the top of my head for some reason right now, but Jeremy Butler. There we go, Jeremy Butler. Um, yeah, uh, but I think if Flacco's throwing for four thousand yards, I don't think that raises our chance at making the playoffs. Flacco doesn't need to throw four thousand yards for us to make the playoffs. Last year he was what five to ten yards away from doing it, and yeah, and we were fine. We were fine. We made the playoffs and we we won a playoff game, and we were a secondary away from winning, a second playoff game, or even a Super Bowl if we look at it in the big picture. But uh, that's what I got right now. The starters, Kamar Aiken, Steve Smith Sr., Brashad Perryman. Who do you got as the starters, Matt?
1: You know, Kyle, we touch on this just about every week because it's the hottest question that we get asked. Yep. What's going on? What's happening with the wide receivers? Right now, what I'm seeing is who who knows who the hell's actually gonna be the starters? Um, it, it's such a tight race in so many fronts, and especially if Brashad Perryman doesn't get back, uh, very quickly. Who who knows who could be one, two, and three? I, I think the easy route to go is to go with who is the leader, which would be Steve Smith Senior.
0: Absolutely.
1: I, I think the second person who has been the, the hottest name so far has been Kamar Aiken. And, and then after that, it's a toss-up. Uh, I mean, do the Ravens... At what point do we call, do we count starters? Is it the top two, the top three, the top four? Because it all depends on what the Ravens end up running. So I'm just going to go with three here, and I'm going to list the third one out as Jeremy Butler. Hmm. A lot of people are forgetting about Butler, but he has had solid hands, solid route running, he has done everything right, and he's got the speed on his side. So with a little bit of time, I think I think Brashad Perryman will eventually get there, but especially with the the bruised knee, him being out of training camp so far, it's holding him back a little bit. Um, so I think at the start of the season, I think it's those three guys. Brashad eventually takes it later into the season, okay. maybe even pushes Kamara Aiken down, but we'll see about that. Also, don't forget about Marlon Brown, a guy like Marlon Brown's available and out there for the Ravens to go ahead and use. Uh, he did great his rookie season last year, not so much. Uh, and so far in training camp and everything, he's looked a little mediocre and shown some of the issues that we've seen in year two out of him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it could be any guy,
0: really. That's, some that's I don't know. I like, your, I like your take on it, though. That's for sure. Uh, Jeremy Butler, I believe I did a piece on him. I was trying to pull that up while you were discussing this. Uh, let me see if I can't find it just real quick. Nope, it was Darren Waller. Excuse me, Darren Waller, not Jeremy Butler. so Yes,
1: yes. Yep. And, and as far as if Flacco can hit 4,000 yards, do they have a better chance of making the playoffs? I, I'm going to say no. Uh, I think actually they have a worse chance of making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. If Flacco is throwing a ton, it's because the running game isn't working or it's because they are behind. This is not a pass-first team. It has never been a pass-first team. And it will likely never be a pass-first team unless the Ravens have two or three star-studded wide receivers and the running game is not all that great. And to be quite honest, I just don't see it out of this unit. Mm -hmm. So... uh, if if Flacco is throwing for more than four thousand yards, chances are it's because he's had to throw it a hell of a lot more, and I, I'm just I'm not happy about that. Uh, I, I'd rather go ahead and beat a team down with the run game and let
0: things go ahead and go the way that they should be going. So, uh, you know, it it, it it could differ. Right. I'm on the same front with you. I don't want Joe Flacco throwing any more than he needs to. We have the run game and the offensive line necessary to make a run game established early in an NFL game and throughout the entire season. I believe we will be fine with our running game. I don't think Joe Flacco needs to throw it more than 35 times in a game. If he does, something's wrong. Clearly something is wrong. I don't like uh, people worrying, oh, if he doesn't make 4,000 yards, he's not a, a top 10 quarterback he's not bottom, you know he's not top 15 it doesn't matter he gets to the playoffs every single year besides after winning a super bowl and a super bowl mvp i'm not worried about it we're going to be making the playoffs this year anyways obviously with my confidence at an all-time high with the squad that we have i'm not worried about him hitting four thousand yards i believe he'll do it but i don't think that's giving us a better chance at making the playoffs Now, the defensive linemen. I know you've been out there. I know you've been watching training camp. You've been able to see this. Who do you have as the projected starters, and what do you believe their impact can be?
1: You know, Kyle, it's just like the wide receiver battle. They are going to replace Haloti Nada Mm -hmm. with a poo-poo platter of people. And to use more alliteration... Actually, to not use any more alliteration because I'm not throwing that many more peas out there. <laughs> but they're going to go ahead and rotate people in and out. So the projected starter ultimately not going to much matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're obviously going to have your Brandon Williams. You're going to have your Tammy Jernigan. You're going to have your Chris Canty. Uh, you know, who, who's the starter at the beginning of the season it's probably not going to be who's the starter at the end of the season. right? Especially in the case of Chris Canty, uh, there's a good chance that Brent Urban goes ahead and pushes him out. Uh, By the end of the season, I think it's a top five uh, defensive line. Actually, I'll go even further. I think it's a top three defensive line. I'm not entirely sure who I would take over it outside of St.
0: Louis. Okay. Uh, Let me hit you with a couple questions real quick. Okay. The Buffalo Bills I have is a better uh, uh, defensive line than the Baltimore Ravens. Uh,
1: And here's here's what I'm going to argue against that, because that's not the first time I've heard that argument. All right. They are better as a pass-rushing unit. Mm-hmm. They are not better as a run-stopping unit. You don't believe When so? you combine both elements, that's when you have a better uh, a defensive line. And I think the Ravens, look, y- you have to go ahead and you have to try the run. But how many times have we seen teams give up at halftime on running the ball that's, and just okay. start
0: tossing it around? All right. I, I can see that. I think I think with Rex Ryan at quarterback and his expertise as a – defensive lineman coach especially I think that they could be and I'm not I'm not putting them away from being better than us as a as a defensive line I can see where you're saying that you know they aren't as good as at the run stop and we were the best pass rushing unit I believe in the NFL for our outside linebackers our defensive line not so much and their defensive line was lethal in the pass rush department we obviously saw that against the Green Bay Packers where they snuffed out Aaron Rodgers crazily enough but uh, the New York Jets, I feel, with that rotation of Sheldon Richardson, and we all know his problems currently brewing, is a uh, off the field individual. But Muhammad Wilkerson and that second, well, I believe the second or third overall draft pick, Leonard Williams, already showing up, and he looked the most NFL ready of all the prospects in that first round, to me personally, anyways. Um, I don't know. I think I think you're right on the uh, Rams front. The St. Louis Rams are perfect almost always with Aaron Donald, uh, Rookie of the Year, and Robert Quinn always being the force of nature he is. But um, also with your projected starters, like you said, I do have Timmy Jernigan over Haloti Nada now because Haloti's gone. Um, I do have Brandon Hulk-Williams as our D-tackle. Chris Canty I'm not sure on. I think he could get surpassed fairly quickly, I mean, he's an old guy, he's a veteran, he's smart, and he knows how to outplay individuals, but can his body continue to outplay individuals is the problem I think we're going to see more and more throughout the NFL season. Um, is Capron Lewis more healthy? Is he on that field? I can't remember. And he has been on the field.
1: Uh, he's been overplayed or outplayed by a lot of the other right. defensive linemen. Uh, you know, he, he got kind of pushed out of the way with Brandon Williams and Timmy Jernigan doing their thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and last season with him being injured, this season, so far in camp, the the guy who was injured last season, who's kind of making a big splash, has been Brent Urban.
0: Right. And that's
1: what happens when you are a giant Viking of a man. Yep, uh, Dude is the tallest person on the team by, like, a head. Wow. And he, he shows a lot of, and and I, I hate making this comparison, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's okay. what I do. All right. He shows me a lot of what J.J. Watt does. Wow. He's able to get them hands up. He's able to go ahead and go around on the outside if necessary. He's able to go ahead and, and rush. He's a guy that I feel very, very confident in is going to be a positive player. If he can stay healthy, if he can go ahead and and, and see playing time, part of that's going to be pushing Chris Canney out of the way this season. Right. Canty's going to start as the the starter this season okay. simply because he's the veteran, he's the guy that's there. Unless Brent Urban shows up and massively destroys it, which he has been doing uh, on Thursday. He had like two or three batted down passes at the line of scrimmage wonderful um, and, and almost had a few picks because of it. Uh, the dude's a beast. So um, really quickly, pushing back to my initial assessment that the Ravens have uh, a, a top three Defensive line. Okay. I'm actually going to go ahead and push them up to number one. Wow. When I'm looking at it, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack from this, Saint Louis is the guys with the, the names.
0: Right.
1: Looking at it, Ravens were fourth mm-hmm. in total rushing yards per game. Okay. With 88.3. Now, keep in mind some of that's going to be on the outside, so that's not mm-hmm. a complete indication of the defensive line. But also keep in mind that teams like Uh, Buffalo use a different tactic in their defense. They use a different scheme in their defense, which allows their defensive ends to go ahead and get after the quarterback, whereas the Ravens use their outside linebackers more like defensive ends. So realistically, uh, we can't ever really talk about just the defensive line. It's got to be the front seven uh, when, when discussing that. So you've got a team that is fourth last season in yards, in rushing yards, And you have the second best team in uh, uh, quarterback sacks. Now, keep in mind also with this that Buffalo is 11th in rushing yards. They allowed uh, 106.4 rushing yards per game, Hmm. while the Ravens only allowed 88.3. That's a huge difference. It's fourth to 11th. And then even behind them is St. Louis. With 110.3 yards per game on the ground, I've got to hand it to to the Ravens' front seven. I think the Ravens' front seven is by far the more superior front seven. You could even kind of toss Detroit in there a little bit as well. A lot of people forget about Detroit, uh, and with Sue being out of town, that'll be something interesting to see if uh, Haloti can go ahead and fill
0: in that gap. Yeah, correct, definitely. Um, Now we're going to finish this up. I believe we are just about wrapped up, as we did finish up with our projected impact. We are on Patreon, it is a website that we would ask you to donate towards the cause. The cause being the Baltimore Beatdown, giving back to people that do give to us. In fact, we're looking to raise about a hundred dollars a month, and with that, we will be donating back to you guys gifts. We will be doing gift uh, giveaways. We're looking at a really good one for this first month, but we have not raised the proper amount yet. We're waiting on that. We are over, I believe, $50 now. We're over halfway, and that was with Yeah, we're at 55 Yep. And something really cool, last I checked, was we did actually get somebody here from Ravel to donate. His name was? Tyler White. Wonderful.
1: Uh, we forgot about him last week, and, and sorry about that, Tyler. So we're going to give you a super extra long shout-out. Tyler, what? No, um, but in all <laughs> seriousness, Tyler, thanks for going ahead and donating a buck to us. Uh, if you go ahead and check out our Patreon, one of the things, if you donate as little as a dollar, we go ahead and shout you out on the podcast. You're all over the place. You can show it to your family and say, "Look, mom, I finally made something of myself. My name's on uh, on the internet on the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. Exactly. I'm somebody now, mom. I'm somebody." While tears are strolling down your face and it's sad and your mom hugs you and it's like it's like that movie Rudy but with parents.
0: Rudy, Tyler Tyler <laughs> Tyler 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 Tyler, 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 Tyler. Tyler. No. No. Um
1: <laughs> But alright, guys. I I not to go ahead and, and beat it down or anything like that, but please, please, please toss us a buck. It helps out. It allows us to go ahead and buy better equipment and do better things. Uh, Because I can tell you right now, I could use a better mixing board so that way you guys can stop hearing me type in the middle of recording. That would be fantastic for everyone. It would also be nice to be able to do these interviews live instead of. uh, uh, Instead of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, instead of not live. Sorry, I I was reading Flapjack Dan over here uh, tossing a few bucks at us. So let me go ahead and put up our Patreon right here. There we go. URL is up in there, and I'm going to post it. Thank you, Flapjack Dan. I appreciate that. It does allow us to do cool things, and hopefully we'll even branch into a little bit of video uh, at some point in time down the line with Rabble here. So thanks again.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm not seeing any questions right now. We would love it. If you did post some questions real quick, um, I'm going to sit here for maybe a, a couple moments. Hopefully that they'll pass those out. But in the meantime, we're going to just do some more annoying things like say, hey, you should probably subscribe to our podcast. We are also on the Baltimore Beatdown website, SB Nations. You know, So www.baltimorebeatdown.com. Uh, share us, please. If you don't even like this, at least share it to other people. Maybe they'll like it. Maybe they'll you know, enjoy it. So please do share that stuff with us. Um, I, I mean, that's, that's it for me, Matt. If you got anything else, I, uh, I'm hoping maybe we get a question or two, but it's not looking good so far.
1: I, I do want to say, again, thanks, everybody, for listening to us. Uh, this is our fourth official episode, obviously. Uh, it's been a blast doing these uh, with you, Kyle, and also with our producer, Daniel Park uh it's it's been a ton of fun this episode was a little bit late because i was uh at physical therapy sadly blew out my knee hurt myself so got to go ahead and do that now i'm really just stretching for uh for for questions here flapjack dan comes in to save the day yet again (laughs) boom with an nfc or excuse me an afc north rankings and why question kyle i'm gonna let you take it all
0: right afc north rankings Unbiased. I can do that. All right. First off, I have the Baltimore Ravens. The reason being, last we saw, they crushed the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wild card matchup. Then we went on, and right before the Baltimore Ravens won the divisional against the New England Patriots, there was the unfortunate incident of where we realized we only had seven players on defense consistently playing because we didn't have a secondary. Although we did have Will Hill in the backfield trying his ass off, we didn't get to see anything much. But right now, that's what we're looking at. All all the Baltimore Ravens seem to do is underrated signs of Kendrick Lewis in that backfield. We also got Kyle Arrington looking to be the number three cornerback or the slot cornerback. And the offense also looks poised. We still have the tough offensive line, Joe Flacco at quarterback. We have an upgrade at the wide receiver position, hopefully in Brashad Perryman. I have them number one. Second off, I have the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have the best wide receiver in the NFL, and Antonio Brown, a top three running back in Le'Veon OBJ. Bell, Le'Veon Bell. And after that, we do also have Big Ben, who threw back-to-back six touchdown games. It was insane. Um, we got we got Laser Lab saying that the comments deleted, for uh, I'm assuming Patreon or something. I don't know. Um, after that, I do have the Cincinnati Bengals. They are a loaded team. I I have them maybe overtaking the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh still is relying on those three players being healthy of Ben, Bell, and Brown. If one of those three goes down, you have a serious problem. Now, if the Ravens were to go down with Joe Flacco or with Justin Forsett or Steve Smith, because right now that's who our real number one receiver is right now, unless Kamar Aiken is truly overtaking him as a wideout, uh, I think we'd be okay. Now, Joe Flacco going down we would be a, a nightmare. It wouldn't be good. Um, we would have the worst person ever, but I don't know. That's that's my personal uh, take on that is, is Matt Schaub would do us in for the number one pick. Anyways, after that, the Bengals are great. I think they could definitely overtake the Steelers. I'm rambling at this point, and uh, the Browns were definitely fourth. They still don't have their quarterback situation figured out.
1: Well, Laser Lab asked us a question or is actually kind of talking a little bit about Ozzie Newsome uh, and and some poor decisions. What I'm going to do, Laser Lab, is I'm going to actually break these down a little bit for you. Ray Rice, no one saw that situation coming at all. There's no way that we can, uh, as fans or, or even as uh, analysts, talk about the Ray Rice situation as an Ozzie Newsome thing. That's purely Ray Rice doing what Ray Rice did and he had to be cut. Uh, the Holodi-Nada trade, ultimately that's a move that, yeah, there, there is a $7.5 million dead money deal on that right now, but you actually saved money by getting rid of him this season. He counted as $16 million toward the cap. So while theres 17500000 there is $17.5 million there, you're looking at a savings of, what, uh, $8.5 million uh, overall. In addition to that, you went ahead and got two draft picks, one of them which helped become uh, uh, Max Williams, the tight end that everybody is so passionate about. Jacoby Jones, I will admit, that that was a little bit of a bad deal, but a lot of people kind of expected that to also happen uh, in in that he was going to be signed for a longer period of time. You're going to take a little bit of dead money, but you're going to save a little bit of money on the cap Mm -hmm. uh, in in year two and three. So It was essentially a one-year deal without the one-year deal money that comes with that. Uh, Ladarius Webb when they signed him to that contract, it was like Jimmy Smith. Uh, no one knew that he was going to come down with multiple injuries like that and and be the way that he was uh, so sadly, while he is sitting there at nine and a quarter million, uh, that sucks but there's there's no one that could really have counted that. The only one that I will give you and, and I was hard on him to begin Absolutely. with was Dennis Pitta. That deal after that first hip injury, and we, we spoke to Dr. Bobby Esbrant uh, about it a few weeks ago. After that first injury, there is no reason why they should have given him a, a top contract like that. Uh, the chances of it getting re-injured were fairly high in terms of an injury standpoint. Um, and, and, yeah, it's right now Pitt is counting a fair amount toward the cap. It's not fun. Uh, Which is never a good thing, so... Um. So, yeah, I mean, outside of that, I mean, the Ravens have grabbed players like Anquan Bolden. they've grabbed players like Steve Smith Sr., Daryl Smith is another one, they, they've been able to keep players like Kyle just said. Uh What Ozzie Newsome is able to do as a whole, and you can't look at the individual moments here, and, and that includes things like Ray Rice or Helton Nada or Ladarius Webb or Dennis Pitta. As a whole, he does incredibly well. He's able to go ahead and turn mid-round draft picks into gems. Guys like you know your Pernell McPhee's, your Paul Krugers, who then go on to have huge contracts elsewhere. That's the type of thing that that Ozzie Newsome is great at doing. He's able to get them at their best for their cheapest, and then recognize when they're not worth the money that they're going to be getting from Cleveland or from uh, Chicago or from the the uh, Lions or from you know the the Dolphins either. So it, it's tough to go ahead and say, but I absolutely go ahead and say that uh, that that the Ravens Ozzie Newsome is the single best general manager all around in the uh, game.
2: Okay,
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, He does have that one uh, sitting that, uh, as Ozzy had a few missteps. And Pompano, don't worry, I'll get to yours. I'm just going to finish up Laser Labs real quick. Um, Missteps in the last few seasons, yes. Rolando McLean being one. Michael Huff being one. Both of those signings, I was not excited about. I well, I okay, I'll, I'm lying. I loved the, the Rolando McLean signing until he retired on us twice. We traded him, and then he had over 1,000 snaps with the Dallas Cowboys, and we got a seventh-round conditional pick on him. I was upset about that, but he wasn't going to play for us, and uh, I'm happy for Rolando now. You know, he seems to get his life back in gear for the most part. Uh, Michael Huff was a terrible signing. Ozzie has had some missteps. He's also had some great signings, you know. Like Anquan Bolden we said earlier, uh, but as of recently, yes, it's a, this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, not what-have-you-done-in-the-years-prior, and I get where you're coming from. It makes sense, but no, definitely the signings at the time seemed right. Oh, we had a weak linebacking core after the greatest linebacker of all time just left us after 17 years, after winning two Super Bowls for us. Uh, how are we going to handle this? Well, we could sign Rolando McClain. He was a first-round draft pick. That was a great signing at the time. It looked good, especially when uh, Danelle Ellerby left, and we were clueless on what we were doing. That's, that's my take on that. Uh, Pompano asked, uh, thoughts on the AFC South? Uh, I'm assuming he wants us to rank uh, top-bottom. You know, uh, Matt, I'm going to give this one to you first.
1: Well, the AFC South is not our division, um, but it's something that I will go ahead and help rank. I think the Indianapolis Colts are the top, uh, I think, by a large (laughs) margin. Uh, I think if anyone places any other team there, they're an idiot. Uh, Outside of that, it's a big jumbled mess. Um, If I could put all three of them fourth, I would, (laughs) but I can't. I, I think everything really depends on what happens with the young quarterbacks in Houston, in Jacksonville, and in, in Tennessee. Yep. If Mariota turns out to be the stud that everyone thinks he is, uh, they could very well end up challenging the the Colts for for the the, the league top there. And let me say real uh, quick that, that would
0: be awesome to watch. I really would love for to see Mariota yeah. succeed, especially the Titans. I'm I'm a I'm kind of a uh, a closeted Titans fan. I got a buddy that's a Titans fan. He kind of just pushed on me once in college, but. That'd be really great to uh not only just that, but to see other teams other than the Colts winning in that division. It's a cupcake for them right now. It's driving me nuts.
1: I think there's a lot of talent in that division too. It's just it's it's they're all like the Cleveland Browns though, where they've got a good team surrounding a bad quarterback or a quarterback that's not quite ready yet. Mm-hmm. And Indianapolis is the only one that kinda has things going on. Yep. So I, I think the Colts perform like the Colts do. I think Houston wins a bunch of games strictly on the back of J.J. Watt.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then after that, it's it's. I'm going to say Tennessee overtakes Jacksonville, but Jacksonville is a scary team. Mm-hmm. If they can get a good quarterback, if they can get an offense going, uh, that defense is going to be nasty with Gus Bradley leading the charge. Mm-hmm. So I, how about you, Kyle? Do, do you disagree or agree with that one?
0: No, I agree with you. Um, I like, I like what, uh, I already have the same top two with you. I still have the same top two. I'm going to go Colts and then I'm going to go Texans strictly because of that defense and Brian Cushing, JJ Watt, hopefully Jadeveon Clowney. And they do have Vince Wilfork, the old passes prime, Vince Wilfork still demanding a double team. I guarantee you that. So that line is going to be vicious come the regular season, but Tennessee does have some talent. They have a great uh, defensive tackle. They do have uh, some good key players mixed in and out, sprinkled in there. Um, I I hope they can get it together. Uh, I really hope Mariota can find success in this squad. But I'm going to put them fourth still behind, behind the Jacksonville Jaguars, certainly because Blake Bortles looks really good. He was starting to figure it out come the end of the season and i'm and that team's turnaround was a terrible absolutely terrible roster i i remember looking at that roster when Russ Bradley came and uh started to change it up and I, there's not a good play there wasn't a good player on there maybe Maurice Jones drew but it wasn't pretty and he's dragging that team from I believe they were two and fourteen that year. They went three and thirteen, then two and fourteen again. And they're just trying to get it solved. And a lot of that comes from who comes out of the draft classes those years. You know, Uh, the year that they did pick, they it was did they get Luke Jokel or they got the other guy, the other uh, tackle right away. And you know, if Andrew Luck would have been in that draft class instead, they'd have been fine. That's the difference. It really is.
1: Yeah, and and but that's the thing. Gus Bradley is doing the right thing in Jacksonville yep, by building strong. up the trenches mm-hmm. and uh, creating a solid defense. I, I think they win a bunch of games. It's I'm I'm curious to see how that division does, and I, I certainly hope someone can overtake the Colts because I'm just tired of hearing about them being you know a 13 and three team half the time because they play a bunch of nobodies.
0: Yeah, it's it's frustrating, to say the least, to watch. as uh, We have to have a three-headed monster, which is almost a fourth head, four-headed monster of a division. With the Browns, as long as they can just figure out the quarterback position, we're going to have a nightmare on our hands, I guarantee you that. They have the best tackle in the NFL with Joe Thomas, consistently, and a Hall of Fame tackle at that. They have a great defense. They're tough. They know how to play football. Mike Pettin, I believe, is their head coach, and he's a smart individual. He knows how to coach. Um, yeah, it's it's a terrifying division. I hate watching us play Cincy hate, twice a year. I hate playing the Steelers twice a year because they're very good always. And the Browns are always going to put up a good fight. If we were the Colts in this scenario playing against the Texans, it'd be tough playing the Texans. They match up decently well with us. But we I believe we'd be able to overtake them with the offense we do have. I know we could wipe the floor with the Titans and the Jaguars the past two years like the Colts have done. It's frustrating to see. It really is. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's especially when guys like Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning have always gotten a ton of credit uh, for leading, you know, huge seasons, mm-hmm. only to then falter in the playoffs. And a lot of that's because, well, when you play bad teams, you look good. Yep, it's easy to go ahead and stack a bunch of wins when you
0: play a bunch of duds. Yeah, and truthfully, that was that was kind of the Baltimore Ravens last year as we stomped out the Bucks and. Joe Flacco put up a record five touchdowns in, I believe, 18 minutes. And that is the fastest ever two five-passing touchdowns in the NFL. He crushed Ben Roethlisberger's record of 28 minutes. Joe did it in a quarter and three minutes. It was insane. And Joe all of a sudden was, hey, maybe we should talk about this guy in the MVPs. Level-headed Ravens fans were going, no, 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 no. We know what's going on here. We're playing a weak NFC South. But player, teams all around the league and fans are going. This guy's insane. Did you see what he did? He's looking Aaron Rodgers out there. He could he could put up ten touchdowns by halftime if this continues. But that's what's going on. You, when you play weak teams, like you say, you don't you look great. But are you truly great? That's the problem there. Yeah. I think that wraps well, it up for the questions there, uh, Matt, yep. unless you got anything else for me. Um...
1: I, I do not. I, I want to go ahead and give a quick shout-out to Dan Showman who went ahead and donated two bucks to us uh, live here on the air. I also want to say, everybody, join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Sorry for the late show, everybody. Uh, and if you guys want, and I posted this up on our page Uh, We have been discussing possibly doing two podcasts a week, uh, but we need you guys to like that. We need you guys to go ahead and let us know about it and see if you guys actually want two podcasts every week, especially during training camp and the season. Uh, Hit us up. Let
0: us know. Thanks. All right. That's it for us here at the Baltimore Beatdown. Catch us next week, 6 o'clock Eastern Time on Ravel.tv. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. If you like what we do, please like and share us on SoundCloud, rabble.tv and iTunes. Also, check out our Patreon account to donate as little as a dollar toward the cause and get some cool perks. Join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern for yet another
2: Baltimore Beatdown Podcast.